0: Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Jeff. I'm one of the pastors at HMCC of Jakarta, and it's my privilege to be preaching the Word of God for us today. So we're currently in part 67 of our, sermon seri- of our sermon series called Rediscover Jesus, where we're going through the Gospel of Luke together. So let's get right into today's sermon. It's going to be about Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, please turn to Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. So for context, uh, in the previous passage, so what we went over last week, Jesus just told a parable to his disciples about a persistent widow and an unjust judge. And then we learned that unlike the unjust judge, God is perfectly just and he'll give justice to his chosen people. And so as his chosen people, as we wait for God's justice, We're to not despair, but instead persist in prayer. And if you guys remember, the passage ends with a question. When the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? So will He find that people are faithfully persisting in prayer, trusting in Him? Or will He find that people are not trusting in Him, but then trusting in other things instead, trusting in themselves? So in today's passage... Jesus continues with yet another parable, and this parable is specifically for those people who don't put their trust in God alone, but in themselves instead. So please follow along with me as I read Luke 18, verses nine to 14. He, that's, that's Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray But beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is God's word. So the one thing for us today is this. God does not justify those who trust in themselves but those who trust in him alone. God does not justify those who trust in themselves, but those who trust in him alone. And we'll take a look at this passage in two parts. So first, we'll take a look at the prayer of the Pharisee, verses 9 to 12. And then we'll take a look at the prayer of the tax collector, verses 13 to 14. Now, before we begin, uh, let me just start with a story. I think some of you guys know that in college, I majored in biochemistry. Now, one of the most difficult classes is organic chemistry. And basically, we took this midterm exam. And you guys may know that midterm exams are a big deal. I think it was about like at least 25% of the overall grade. And for, for reference, the standard for a passing grade is a 75%. Okay, so, so that's a C. And do you guys know what I got? Okay, I'm not proud to say this, but I got a 64% on this exam. And I like to think of myself as a pretty good student, a student. So then you can imagine just my surprise and my disappointment when I got my exam back and I got 64%. That's a D. But then the next day, the professor gathered the class and then she told us that the class average was a 54% so basically technically we all failed the exam so because this exam was so difficult the professor said okay we're going to grade this on a curve so in the grade that you get how well you do it depends on how good everyone else did so then my D was adjusted to a B. Praise God, so so relieved I got a B. Still not an A, but it's not bad. Now, this wouldn't be the only time that our exams would be graded on a curve. So then, each time I get my exam back, what I do is I compare it with my friends, you know, what they get, because that would determine how good or bad I did. And you know, that's something that we've all kind of become very good at, right? Comparing ourselves to one another. And how we determine whether we're good or bad, or whether we're in the right or in the wrong, is by comparing ourselves with others. So for college students, you're in the right if you're above a certain grade, but then you're in the wrong if you're below a certain grade. So then maybe you'll start feeling like you're better than those students who had lower grades than you, but then you kind of feel worse than the students who got higher grades than you and over time you know we might have developed other factors that we judge ourselves and others by now you know not only grades but we we also judge ourselves and others by beauty career success wealth health and so forth and then how i compare myself to others it may be different than how you compare yourself to other people you know, we each, each of us have our own standard of righteousness, of what it means to be in the right and in the wrong. And then no matter what our specific standard of righteousness is, we never really like to think of ourselves as being in the wrong standing. No matter what our standard is, we like to think of ourselves as being in the right standing. So then at the beginning of today's passage, even before Jesus begins to tell his parable, We're told who Jesus' target audience is. Take a look at verse nine. Jesus is telling this parable specifically to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So in other words, those who thought that they're self-righteous, those who relied on their own standard of righteousness and those who believed in their own strength and their own capabilities to be in the right standing. Now, if we think of Jesus' audience, of the people that he's been talking to, you know, who usually has this kind of tendency? You know, it's not specifically mentioned here, but most likely Jesus is addressing the Pharisees. Because if you remember, the Pharisees, they thought of themselves as righteous. They thought that they're better than others because they're able to follow Jewish rules and Jewish traditions better than everyone else. And then because they thought that they're better than others, they started treating others with contempt or with a lack of of respect. And if you look at verse 9, that's how self-righteousness and treating others with contempt, that's how they're connected. Because as you exalt yourself, as you lift yourself up, you're bound to leave others behind, beneath you. And so treating others with contempt is a side effect of self-righteousness. Now, you know, as we are hearing all this, we may be thinking, okay, this parable is for the self-righteous. Okay, this is not for me then, because I'm not like a Pharisee, so I, you know, I don't need to listen to this message. But hold on, you know, hypothetically, if Jesus were to ask his audience, all right, how many of you guys think you're self-righteous? You know, none of them would probably jump up and say, you know, me, Jesus, I'm self-righteous they probably wouldn't do that, right? And I think it's the same with us. Most of us would probably say that we're not self-righteous when deep inside, we all have this sinful tendency to be self-righteous. I mean, just think of a time when someone else gives you feedback. You know, Did you have this defensive thoughts? Or perhaps a time when you observe someone doing something that you don't like. You know, did you start to judge them? Or, how about a time when you've made a mistake? Did you try to justify yourself? You know, perhaps you're always late to meetings, but then it's always the traffic's fault, right? I have to be honest, you know, I've said that excuse basically many times to justify myself. But we all have the same tendency to be self righteous. And that's the deviousness of our sin and pride, it hides deep in our hearts. So we may think that we're not being self-righteous or we're, we're not being prideful, you know, at least not most of the time. When in actuality, we are, you know, just like the Pharisees, you know, they didn't see themselves as being self-righteous when they actually were. They had blind spots. And the same with us. We all have our blind spots, things about us that we cannot see in ourselves and that will need others' help to help us see. So that's what Jesus is doing here through this parable. He's trying to help us see our blind spots, to see that we have the sinful tendency to put our trust in ourselves instead of in God and God alone. So as we dive into this parable, let's dive into it with an open mind. In verses 10 to 12, Jesus begins his parable. He says this, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Now, immediately as we're hearing this, some of us may already have alarm bells ringing in our heads. We hear the word Pharisee, and immediately we're thinking, okay, the Pharisees, they're the bad guys. And then the tax collectors, you know, they must be the good guys. But this is not how Jesus' audience would have seen things during that time. They would have seen the Pharisees as the one who are the good guys. Because the Pharisees are the religious leaders of the Jews. So not just religious men, but the religious Leaders of the Jews, they're seen as the defenders of the Jewish way of life and role models on how to live a life of righteousness. So they'd be seen as the the good guys. While on the other hand, the tax collectors, these are the ones who, who the people would see as the bad guys. Because these are Jews who decided to work for the Roman government in order to collect taxes from their own Jewish people. And then oftentimes, they'd collect even more than what was necessary so that they could then pocket the extra money for themselves. So Jesus' audience would have seen the tax collectors as greedy traders, unrighteous men, while they'd see the Pharisees as holy and righteous men. But then, even though the public may look up to the Pharisees, you know what is Jesus revealing here about the Pharisees' heart? Now, let's take a closer look at the Pharisee's prayer. Look at verse 11. The Pharisee, he starts off by thanking God. He says, God, I thank you. You That's a good start. But then notice how everything that comes after that is just about himself, about how he's better than others. And then why does he think that? He, He then justifies himself. It's because of all the good things that he's done because he fasts twice a week, and because he tithes, or he gives a tenth of all that he gets to God. No, this is not a model for a prayer of thanksgiving to God. This is more like an example of how to praise or exalt yourself, because that's what this Pharisee is actually doing, right? This Pharisee is praising himself because he sees himself as justified, believing that he's in the right And that he's righteous because of all these good things that is already done by his own good works. So inside this Pharisee's heart is pride. You know, he's being self-righteous. He goes up into the temple already assuming that he's a good person. You know, he doesn't even ask God for anything. If if you guys notice that, he doesn't ask God for anything. It seems as though he he has everything figured out already. He already thinks that he's in the right standing before a holy God, so it it doesn't even seem like he even needs God. And then from what we observe about the Pharisee's uh, prayer, you know, would we say that his trust was in God or it's actually in himself? In himself, right? Now, notice a few things here about this Pharisee that we can learn from the prayer. First, even though he believes in God, you know, he prays to God, he thanks God, even though he believes in God, this Pharisee relied on his own standard of righteousness. He believes that what makes him a good person is the fact that he's able to follow Jewish rules strictly, and how he's able to fast twice a week and tithe all that he gets. But here's the thing. Scripture doesn't require Jews to fast twice a week. That's not something that god required this is a rule or tradition that was added by the religious leaders at a later time so this standard was not from god not god's standard but was actually man-made created by the pharisees themselves this is their own standard so that's first this pharisee is relying on his own standard of righteousness and then second this pharisee believes that it's through his own ability that he can achieve his standard of righteousness, that he can be in the right by himself. He doesn't need God. And then third, we can see that this Pharisee judges himself and judges others based on his own standard. Again, not God's God's standard, his own standard. He compares himself to others, and then because others have disobeyed the Jewish rules and traditions in which he was able to follow more strictly, then that's further proof for him that he's justified and that these other people are not. So then what we're seeing here is what it means to put your trust in yourself. Trusting in yourself means that you trust in your own standard of righteousness. And it means that you trust that you can be in the right standing by your own work, by your own ability. So that's what it means by trusting in yourself. Now, what does this all mean for us? Now, let's take a look at ourselves. Now, we're believers. We acknowledge that we're sinners, and we acknowledge that we need God's grace. But then, does this mean that we're immune from being self-righteous? No, it doesn't. Because take a look at this Pharisee. He, He would acknowledge that he's a believer, yet he's still self-righteous because even after becoming a believer, we still have the sinful tendency to be self-righteous and this should be humbling for us and it's humbling for me personally. You know, about a year ago when I was a pastoral intern, I was told by the other pastors. So by pastor Eric and pastor John that in a few months I'll be given the opportunity to preach for the first time in front of the whole congregation so you can imagine I was quite excited but then that only lasted a few seconds. After that the excitement became 100% anxiety. And then I started thinking, oh man, what am I going to say? How am I going to sound? How would people think about me? And you know during that time, would you say that my trust was in God? I mean, for me, yes, you know, I think so. My trust was in God. But then did I also put my trust in myself, even a small amount. Yes, I think so. I think I'd say, yeah, I did. So though I say that I trust in God, this is one of the times when I didn't put my trust in God alone, but in God plus myself, my performance. So my performance here became my standard of righteousness because I wanted to be seen by others, basically by you guys as good and capable. So then, yes, I, I want others to praise God. But then, to be honest, I kind of want others to give me a little bit of the praise too. You know, I was being prideful, self-righteous. So this is such a sober reminder that even years after becoming a believer, and you know, even after becoming a pastor, I'm still tempted to be prideful and self-righteous. So then this warning, you know, to not put our trust in ourselves is not only for unbelievers, but it's also for all of us believers. Because even when we've already put our trust in God, our sinful tendency is still to put even just a small amount of trust in ourselves, in our own strength, in our own abilities. So what what we tend to do is to trust God plus ourselves, you know, just like the Pharisee. Now, I have another question for you guys. What is it that makes you feel like you're worthy? You know, what is it that makes you feel like you're worthy? You know, perhaps like me, it's also in your performance. Or perhaps it's in your physical appearance, level of success, a certain level of productivity that you need to reach in the day or in the week. Or it's your career, financial stability health, or maybe something else. But here's the thing. There's actually a huge flip side to our pride. Because on the other end of our pride and on the other end of self-righteousness is self-condemnation and despair. Because if we exalt ourselves by comparing ourselves to others, then what happens when we see others meeting the expectations that we're not meeting for ourselves? What happens when we don't meet our own expectations? Then during those times, you know, those of us who put our trust in ourselves, we're at risk of being in self-condemnation and despair. And perhaps that's where some of us are at today. You know, what is it that's making you feel like you're unworthy? Perhaps you're comparing yourself to others and then there's something that's making you feel like you're of lesser value, as if you're in the wrong instead of in the right. Now, what does that reveal about your standard of righteousness, about how you define whether you're in the right or in the wrong? You know, what does that reveal about where you put your trust in? You know, on a related note, you know, parents... Please note that how you define what's right and wrong can rub off on your children, especially if you, if you start comparing them to other children, whether those who are doing better than them or worse than them. You know, what we may be doing inadvertently is causing our children to think that their worth is based on their performance or based on some other factors. Now, what this also means for us is that these factors that we judge ourselves and others by, you know, most likely they're all, they're also influenced by our family and friends, by their different standards of moral righteousness, performance righteousness, productivity righteousness, or some other standards of righteousness that they have. But again, this doesn't mean that we should just, we should try to justify ourselves by blaming our family and friends. You know, we'd be missing Jesus' point if we did that. Because instead, what we should do is acknowledge that we all have our blind spots, sinful tendencies to be prideful and self-righteous and to have our own standards of, of righteousness. So let's do, that. let's do that first. And then next, you know, the big question is this. What then is God's standard of righteousness? You now, how can we be deemed right in the sight of God? You know, that's what we'll take a look next as we look at the prayer of the tax collector. So verse 13 says this, But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So here we see that as the tax collector was praying, you know, he bowed his head, he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. And he's beating his chest in sorrow. You know, this man is not like the Pharisee who's praising himself, but he's in sorrow. And his prayer is short God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But then his short prayer reveals a lot about his heart. You know, there's a couple of things here that we can learn about the tax collector from his prayer. First, we can see that this tax collector is aware that he's a sinner. He's aware that he sinned against a holy God, that he's unworthy before the creator of the universe. He's unworthy of even lifting up his eyes to heaven. And he's aware that he's fallen short of God's glorious standard. And then second, we can see that he humbled himself before God because he understands that there's nothing that he can do to earn his own righteousness. That's why he doesn't place his trust in himself. He didn't say, God, God, Be merciful to me because I've done all these good things for you. You know, that's not what he said. He simply says, God, be merciful to me. Because he believes that only God can forgive him of his sins, that there's nothing else that he can do himself except to ask for mercy from a merciful God. So here we see someone who's truly repentant, someone who doesn't trust in himself and doesn't trust in his own righteousness but someone who's humbled himself before God. He realizes the seriousness of his sins. He realizes the proper understanding. He, he has a proper understanding of who he's sinned against, and he has a proper understanding of the only one who can forgive him. And then in verse 14, Jesus says this, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So this man the tax collector he's the one who's justified. You know this would be completely shock Jesus audience. You know the tax collector is the one who is deemed as right in the sight of God. And then notice in verse 14 how it says rather than the other. So it's not As if both the tax collector and the Pharisee were justified. It's rather than the other. So the tax collector was justified, the Pharisee was not. And why is that the case? Jesus would explain that next. Because those who exalt themselves, those who trust in their own righteousness, will be humbled. They will not be justified. But the one who humbles himself before God, who trusts in God and his mercy, who doesn't trust in themselves, they will be exalted. They will be the ones who are justified. And then what Jesus is talking about here is not that we'll be humbled or exalted temporarily, but for eternity. No, those who exalt themselves will be ultimately humiliated in hell for eternity. And then those who humble themselves before God will ultimately be exalted in heaven for eternity. So this means who we put our trust in, whether it's in God or in ourselves, it has serious implications, serious consequences that surpasses even our time here on earth. So then the next question for us may be this. You know, then if that's the case, how can we have the same heart posture as this tax collector? How can we humble ourselves before God? Well, first, we need to realize that we're sinners. And how can we do that? That's We can do that by having the right understanding of God's standard of righteousness. You know, we've been talking about a lot about our own standards of righteousness. But then what's God's standard? This is what Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is God's standard. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. God's standard of righteousness is perfection. And that's because God is completely holy, 100% good. So that means 99.999% is not good enough. But then hypothetically, you know, if God was to ask us, you know, why do you deserve to go to heaven, maybe some of us here would be tempted to answer something like this Pharisee and say, well, God, I've done my best to do good. I think I'm relatively a good person. You know, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a robber compared to them. I think I'm a pretty good person. So I think I should go to heaven, right? But here's the thing. God will not judge us on a curve compared to everyone else. But he'll compare compare us to his own standard, his own standard of righteousness. And nothing less than 100% is good enough. But then what we're tempted to do is to compare ourselves to other people. We tend to think that 64% is kind of good enough. Because we see this other person, okay, they're at 54%. This other person, I think they're less than that. So that means I'm good. I'll go to heaven. As long as I'm better than some people, I'm okay. But again, God will judge us by his perfect standard. And God's word says that all of us have fallen short of his glorious standard. None of us are even close to 100%. I mean, just think about it. Even when we try to do good things, right? there's always a small bit of our motivation that's not 100% good, that's selfish and self-serving. Even in our best intentions, we're usually not 100% good. I mean, even when I want to serve and praise God, there's, per, there's just even a small amount that wants to serve and praise myself instead. So even when we want to serve others selflessly, Deep inside, there's still a small part of us that want some recognition for ourselves. You know, we're not 100% good. So then as sinners before a perfectly righteous God, you know, what's the consequence of that? What's the consequence of sinning against God? You know, God's word says in the book of Romans, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death the consequence of our sin is eternal separation from God himself, is eternal punishment in hell. And it would be perfectly just, perfectly right, actually, for God to punish sinners for their sins. Because if God doesn't do that, if God doesn't punish sinners for their sin, then actually God wouldn't be perfectly just. He's perfectly just, therefore, he punishes sinners for their sins. So then for all of us, That's the bad news, that because of our sin, what we deserve is eternal punishment in hell. But then here's the good news. God's story doesn't end there, and then our story doesn't end there. Verse 14 says this, that this tax collector is the one who's justified, which means that he's the one who's made right in the sight of God. So how is this possible? It's because God... It's not only perfectly just, but He's also perfectly merciful and perfectly gracious. And then where do we see God's justice, grace, and mercy perfectly come together? It's at the cross. Because God loves us so much, He Himself chose to take on the punishment that we deserve. Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth to save us from our sins, and to defeat death. So Jesus lived the perfect life that we could not. 100% righteousness and 0% sin. And then at the cross, there's an exchange that took place. You know, we gave Jesus 100% of our sin, and then Jesus gives us 100% of his righteousness. So then now when God sees us, he doesn't see our sin he sees Jesus' righteousness that's covering us. So that's the good news, that for those of us who humble ourselves, who don't trust in our own righteousness, but in Jesus' righteousness, those of us who repent of our sins and put our faith in Christ, we will not be punished in hell, but instead will have eternal life in heaven. That's the good news. Jesus' atoning work on the cross is the completion of God's redemptive plan for all of mankind after they're fallen to sin. And Jesus is the only way. So then, those of us who trust in ourselves or in some other way to be justified other than Jesus alone, they will not be justified. They will go to hell. Only those of us who put our faith in Christ alone, not Christ plus ourselves. Only those of us who put, ourselves, who, who put our trust, our faith in Christ alone will be saved. So what this means is that Christianity is not a do-more religion. It's not about doing more and more and earning your own salvation by doing good works. It's not about our work, but it's about relying on the completed work of Jesus Christ. You know, other religions may depend on doing good, being a good person. But only Christians can say that we are righteous and that we are going to heaven without being boastful, without boasting in ourselves. Because it's not our own work that we're boasting in, but we boast in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, if this is your first time hearing the gospel, or if you have not yet put your faith in Jesus, I invite you to talk to anyone around you, the person who invited you, or even come talk to me after the service. You know, I'm sure any of us here would love to talk to you more about Jesus and answer any questions that you may have. Now, let's look back at verse 13 at this tax collector's prayer because here we see the only proper response of someone who realizes that he's a sinner before a holy God. Look at this tax collector's posture he would not lift up his eyes to heaven. He realizes that he's completely unworthy to be in God's presence. There's a huge gap. So then he's beating his chest in sorrow and he acknowledges that he's a sinner. He's in desperate need of God's mercy. So then he cries out to God, God, please have mercy on me, a sinner. And then what happens next? He receives that mercy from God. He receives it. God gave him mercy. Because of his faith, he's counted as right in the sight of God, and he goes home justified. And that's the end of Jesus' parable here. The tax collector went home justified. But then for us here, you know, our story doesn't just end there, right? It continues. Because now, as those who are deemed as justified, then how are we now to live the rest of our lives as justified people. A couple of things here. First, this means that we can live our lives confidently because our security is in Christ. It's not in our own works, not in how things, not based on how things around us are going. No, we can live confidently because no matter the situation, our righteousness and our self-worth doesn't rely on factors that fluctuate up and down, like our performance but it relies on Christ's righteousness, that's stable, that doesn't fluctuate, that's not going anywhere. So what this means for us, that in moments when we're tempted to compare ourselves with other people who are doing better than us, then we can remember that 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 doesn't affect our self-worth. We're not less than them. Our identity is secure in Christ. And in those moments, we can still praise God You know, maybe we can see that we're all made uniquely with different strengths and different weaknesses. So then it's okay if you're not good at everything. And it's okay if your performance fluctuates at times. You know, that doesn't change your worth. Your worth is secure in Christ. And your righteousness, your salvation, that's also secure in Christ. And then on the other end, you know, when we're tempted to compare ourselves to others who we feel like are doing worse than us, and this also means that our value is secure. Just because there's others who may not be doing as, as well as us, it doesn't mean our value is changing. In fact, it should be the opposite. We should see them as valuable. You know, even if they're unbelievers, we see that they're still made in the image of God. And then if they're believers, we know that they're worth the precious blood of Jesus Christ. In fact, if there are others that are feeling down, Perhaps we can be the one to humble ourselves and to be the one to help pick them up, to encourage them, to point them back to Jesus. So that's the beauty of putting our trust in God and God alone. When the foundation of our lives is stable and secure, then even in moments when our lives are shaky, then God is stable and we're not shaken. And then by his grace, he's also given us brothers and sisters you know, this church community, so that even when, do, when we do feel a little bit shaky, there's other brothers, it's other brothers and sisters who can help support us during those times, who can help remind us that the only one who's worthy of our trust is Jesus Christ alone. So again, you know, how are we to continue to live our lives as those who have been justified? First, we can live our lives with our security in Christ. And then the last thing is that it means that there should be continued proof of transformation in our lives. So this doesn't mean that we should just continue living in sin, that just because we feel like we're justified, that we can just go back and just do whatever we want now. Because if we continue to live in sin with that remorse, then that's not a sign of someone who's truly repented of their sins. That's not a sign of someone who's truly put their faith in God and is justified. You know, that should be concerning to us because that sounds more like the Pharisee who's only saying that they trust in God when their lives are completely the opposite. And we can look at the life of Matthew, you know, who used to be a tax collector, who left everything behind to follow Jesus as one of his apostles. You know, he never turned back. The rest of his days, he continued to follow Jesus. And then look at Paul, who used to be a Pharisee, who used to persecute Christians, when he put his faith in Christ, he, when he left his old life behind, he never turned back. He planted many churches, and he discipled many brothers and sisters in Christ for the rest of his life, all for God's glory. So just because you know, these guys were justified because of their faith in Christ alone, you know that still means that they're continuing their lives, living out their faith, So trusting in God alone, it has a transformative effect. You know, our lives are forever changed. But what it means, again, is that we can now live with great confidence that our salvation is secured, our righteousness is secured, our worth is secured. One last thing I'll highlight is this. Verse 14, again. Notice how it says, This man went down to his house justified, past tense, justified. It's already done. There's nothing more that he needs to do. know what this means is, is that Jesus' work on the cross is sufficient. It's sufficient. There's nothing more that we need to do ourselves. The only thing that we need to do is to put our trust in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. That's all we need to do. Now, I started with a story. Uh, let me just close with another with another story. When I first became uh, a believer, when I was a new believer, you know, I prayed for God to speak to me and to provide me with a verse or something that can help guide me for you know the rest of my Christian uh, my Christian walk. So that night, you know, on my phone, I'm just scrolling and looking up verses. And by God's grace. There's a couple of verses that stood out to me. And I feel like this is one of the first times that God is speaking to me personally. And the verses were from Proverbs 3 5 to 6. I'd like to share it with you guys. It says this Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. When I became a believer, I was about, I was almost 30. So for nearly 30 years, I've been living my life, putting my trust on myself and on a lot of other things, other people, other things. That's not Jesus Christ alone. And when I put my trust in Jesus Christ, then I'm declaring, Lord, help me to not put my trust in my own understanding. Whatever it is, that your word says, help me to trust in it. If there's something that I feel is contradictory between what your word says and what I understand, help me to trust in your word, not my understanding. Help me to not believe in my standards, but in your standards, not in my ways, but in your ways. So that's my prayer for us, that we would not continue to rely on our own understanding, but that we may trust in God's perfect wisdom, in his standard of righteousness, and in his way of justification, which is through Christ alone. So to help help us with our next steps, uh, here's a couple of life applications that's in the form of reflection questions. So first, you know, what is it that's making you feel worthy or unworthy at this time? You know, what does that reveal about your standard of righteousness, and where you put your trust in. You know, perhaps it's in your physical appearance or performance or success, productivity, career, financial stability, health, or maybe something else. And then second, and this is so important, how does the gospel of Jesus Christ affect your standard of righteousness and where you should put your trust in? And then third, who can you share your reflection with? I'd encourage us to, of course, don't forget, share your confession with God first and foremost, but then I'd encourage us to also share it with one another and let it encourage us to continue to put our trust not in ourselves, but in God alone. So once again, the one thing for us is this. God does not justify those who trust in themselves, but those who trust in him alone. Now, as we remain seated, uh, let's respond to God's word as we have the reflection questions back up on the screen. Let's take a look at the reflection questions and please keep your Bibles open to the passage and we'll spend a few moments of quiet reflection and prayer in response to God's word. Let's pray.